It's that time of year, and we are celebrating by taking some time off to spend with our friends and families. But before we do that, I wanted to give you all a little Christmas gift this year by just recapping all of the wonderful insights we've had on this show so far. I've been amazed and humbled by the quality of the guests we've had on this show and their unique insights into how to make the world a better place. And it's given me so much inspiration, as you can probably guess by how many times I've said, wow, in reaction to something I've heard. That's one little annoying quirk of mine I discovered when making this episode. At the same time, I also realised just how many different issues we tackled, and yet how many remain untouched. But do not worry, because we'll be back in the new year with a whole new set of guests and their thoughts on how we can all create a positive impact. I'm starting at the beginning with one of my most thoughtful and considerate guests, Cy Martin from Heads Above the Waves, and his little tip on how to cheer yourself up if you're feeling a bit down. Final trivial tip number two is get some god-tier socks and pants. And this is the silliest piece of advice I will ever give you, but I would put money on the fact that most people have got one pair of underwear that makes them feel like a million bucks. Whether it's that like expensive <laughs> pair that you splashed out on or whether it's like a really nice pair that you got for Christmas or something like that, I've got a handful of God-tier socks and pants that you only wear for really special occasions. If there's ever a day where you're not feeling 100%, the way my wife describes it is if you're not feeling very sparkly today, if you just feel a bit low, wearing something like that it's great because you get the benefit of dressing up and putting on something nice, but it is just for you and nobody else needs to know about it. And you don't need to tell anybody else about it, but you can be walking around knowing that you've done one small thing to just purely for you as a little treat for you. One of my favorite parts of this show is when we get to the end and we do our shout outs, when I give our guests the chance to nominate someone that they think is making a really positive impact in the world. And one of my favorites was from Judith McMinn of Reason. I've met many people. I've met people who are supporters, people who are critical, people who are critical friends, but I've met many experts. And there's one expert and one team I want to call out, and that is a clinic in London called Recognition Health, who are the brain and mind experts. And they're leading the way around new clinical trials for treatments to slow and halt brain disease. They're working on uh, knowing more about CTE and the diagnosis of it. They're working on developing very sophisticated neuroimaging technique. Their CEO, Dr. Emer McSweeney, did a TED talk last year in, in Athens, which has had over a million views. And that TED talk, which is about CTE, is something that every parent, every player, every coach, every school governor and everybody in and around sport needs to watch. She's not wrong. That TED Talk is well worth the watch. Right from the beginning of this show, I was keen to have on leaders, entrepreneurs, people that run their own businesses, because they think about things differently. They have a background in coming up with creative solutions. And to do that effectively, I think you have to have a very strong underlying set of values and a vision, what your business is going to stand for. And to do that, you have to identify a problem. You have to see something wrong with the status quo. And when I put this to Ed Rigg of Eager Drinks, he had this to say. For me, I think it's about 
transparency and being and not pulling the wool over the consumer's eyes like i think it's if if refrigeration is needed to keep a product fresh then absolutely obviously put it in uh, the fridges um the problem i have is that i know that my product is the same as the leading brands in in the chilled section of the supermarket for not from concentrate juice ours isn't refrigerated and so i think generally we feel that refrigerating juice was a serving suggestion that the big brands decided they wanted to do because it made consumers think it was fresh um, and it isn't fresh um, it is just cold um, and so um, my view i always start from a point of view of you have to be transparent with the consumer this consumer doesn't want the wall pulled over their eyes i put the same question to evie waxman of damn good cookies and she told me all about her mission to encourage positive body image i'm really just making it not so much a taboo topic. Having spoken to quite a few people over the last like year or so, so many people struggle and go through issues like this, but it's always kept secret. There's a lot of guilt and shame associated around eating disorders, and it's not really seen or heard as much upon as a drug problem or an alcohol problem. And so people usually suffer in silence. And so for us and for me, what I want to be able to do is to make people feel not alone in their issues. And it, and it's, it stems much further than just eating disorders, right? So let's, talking about myself, if I, if I was happy in myself and where I was in my life, I wouldn't have gone to food to, and used food as a coping mechanism, just like people wouldn't go to drugs to use as a coping mechanism. And so we're looking at mental health holistically, and that surrounds, you know, feelings of self-worth and self-confidence and feeling good in your own skin. And so what we're really striving to do is to empower people to feel damn good in their own skin. And I think looking at the bigger picture really is the, is what we're pushing. But it's not all about business. We've had some great guests from some incredible organisations. And one of my favourites in particular was Jim from the Outward Bound Trust. One of my favourites and from what I can see, one of your favourites as well. This is one of the most popular episodes that we did this year. And for good reason, this story is quite incredible and really gets to the heart of why I make this podcast. And there was one girl in this 19 day exhibition uh, called Claire, we call her. Um, and basically this was in a very small group. So this was still during COVID times. Um, we only could have a group size of five maximum to make sure we were within a six bubble. And um, I only had four students on my course this year. And I was with the 18 to 22 year olds on the course. Um, Claire had quite a unique story, basically. She um, had immigrated from Hong Kong um, and she immigrated uh, in the winter uh, of 2020. Uh, and she went to university and, and she basically spent uh, the next how many ever months? Or was it, yeah, wait, anyway, she spent the next year in her university accommodation and she uh, didn't meet anyone. The only time that she'd be chatting to anyone was through uh, university and uh, Teams or Zoom calls. Uh, she, um, when she came on the course, I, I was really worried for her because she was silent. Um, her English was, um, it was good, but it was definitely there was definitely holes. Um, she she didn't seem like she felt comfortable talking. Uh, the other three students who were really nice and really supportive um 
and uh, she she seemed to find everything very hard. Uh, her bag was very heavy. The group, uh, the other three students, um, had to kind of take stuff out of her bag and help carry her. And she also cried a few times, and it was quite hard to see. Because um, actually, I was thinking, is this the right? This is kind of maybe potentially going into the idea of maybe she's been she's been put on the wrong course here. Um, after five days, um, something happened though, and she started being able to. She started opening up to the, the students, um, and uh, she started chatting to them. She started talking about her experiences. She shared the story of her just going to the country. Uh, her real name, well, she has two names. She has an English name and her her, her official name. And um, she hadn't gone by her official name since she moved to the UK because no one could pronounce it and she was embarrassed. Um, and she shared with us. I'm not going to make up a different name because I don't want to become into stereotyping. Uh, but she shared with her her official name. Um, and we called her that for the rest of the course. Um, at the start of the course, she wasn't swimming. She wouldn't go in the water. And we found out it's because she didn't know how to swim. She felt quite embarrassed by it. Um, after the 19-day expedition, the, the kind of last four days or three, four days is self-supported. So I leave them and I just check up with them. And they are self-sufficient. They need to look after themselves. We, we would do check-ins and make sure that their welfare is okay. Um, and through that, she really shone as a leader. And she started actually taking charge. Um, we finished off the expedition by stopping off the other side of the lake and um, with the idea of swimming across the lake. Obviously, she couldn't swim. Um, I'm sorry, I'm feeling a bit emotional talking about the story. Um, she, um, the rest of the, we have these swimming floats, um, which are like these bags with a tether, and the other three students just said, it's okay, we're, we're going to pull you across. And she had this inflatable thing, and I had her on a rope, uh, like a tether and they 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 all three of them held on to her and they they swam there and they 600 meters across the lake to get back to the center and at the end they all just jumped up and were hugging each other and uh, i just remember sitting around the fire and her just saying this is this feels like i actually have found a place i've got i've got friends i've got people that care for me and for someone who had literally spent a year in isolation um that's a very dramatic story sadly they're not all like that but that is the reason that I go to work and it's just beautiful what we can do in the outdoors. A really, really lovely story there from Jim and the Outward Bound Trust. Definitely go and check those guys out. One of the things I wanted to do with this show was find more practical ways that you can create a positive impact. Small things in your everyday life. And this one, for those of you that have kids, is really, really powerful. It certainly was for me. And what I love most about it is that it's backed up by data. And this is Laura from the Kid Collective. There's some good good data points in there. For example, reusable nappies use about 98% fewer raw materials in their production. Um, they have a lower carbon footprint. And the environmental impact of the production of them is 90% lower for reusable nappies and disposable nappies. But there were equally some measures that came that made reusable nappies appear less environmentally friendly and all of those higher impact measures were around electricity use so around consumer end washing of the nappies but as with carbon footprint like those impacts even since the report was published in march of this year those impacts have already fallen since the report was written and will continue to fall 
which is due to the increased penetration of renewable energy in the marketplace. So the more renewable energy that is around, the lower those impacts are going to be, and that will continue. Love it. Thank you very much to Laura for her time and for giving us that data on why we should be using reusable nappies. It's something I do, and to be honest, I absolutely love it. Now, just while I finish off this mince pie I've got in front of me, I'm going to leave you with something from the opposite end of the spectrum of this show, which is the less practical stuff, the big picture, the big technical projects that you and I probably can't really do much about, but we can certainly learn more about and support. I'm going to leave you with a short bit of optimism from Jimran Lu from Undo, who, understandably given his background in carbon removal, is very confident that tech and science will absolutely be a huge part of the future that we seek. I think science will contribute a lot to getting us out of this climate crisis in the coming decades. But at the same time, the fundamental workings of our entire planet is set up to, to, to create the environment we're in today, right? Another analogy would be like, we're trying to solve for lung cancer by building more hospitals when we fundamentally need to stop people smoking. And that part is hard, and I don't have a clear solution for that. But what I do see is on the innovation space, it always brings me with optimism. I think human ingenuity will find new solutions to tackle complex problems. And I have no doubt, like every time I go to any innovation event, hear the new technologies people are talking about, it, it fills me with excitement. Now, my next clip is from one of my favorite, favorite episodes. And to be honest, for selfish reasons, this is a clip from the chat I had with Holly from North Star. Now, North Star are one of my favorite companies. I've known them for quite a while. I've purchased their coffee for some time now. They're a really, really good company and exactly the sort of people that I built this show for. To be honest, I could have spoken to Holly for hours and would love to have included more clips in this, but I've just picked out two short stories that she gave me that really demonstrate what North Star are all about and why they're a fantastic company that you could be buying from if you're into coffee or if you know someone else that is and you're looking for a gift. They are absolutely a brilliant choice. The first one we did was with a female producer called Maria in El Salvador, who was essentially, she was without any processing infrastructure. So she had a beautiful farm called Finca Margarita, but she was unable to actually get the beans out of the cherries. All she could do was pick the cherry and then basically achieve a, uh, receive a price for the cherry, which is at that point nowhere near close to being an exportable, valuable product. So she was having to sell the cherry to her neighbours to pay them to process the coffee for her and was essentially kind of being denied a massive portion of that final price being paid. So what we did was we invested around about $10,000 to help build drying infrastructure and fermentation tanks, investing in things like moisture meters and color meters and things like that so that she could take real ownership over the entire process from harvesting to preparation for export and therefore open up the entire chunk of money that, that was being paid um, that she could access. Um, and not only has that kind of created a business that she now is actually going to be able to pass down to her, to her, to her children, but she's all, we're also able to access her coffee as a, as an exclusive micro lot for North Star because beforehand it was all having to be blended with local, <clears throat> excuse me, with her neighbor's lots. We'd never had direct traceability to Finca Margarita. 
and that lot we're actually about to showcase a, a coffee shop in London called Ra- Roslyn in towards the end of November and we're, we're able to sort of access those sorts of opportunities because we now have this world exclusive Pacamara micro lot that we only access because of that investment so that was that was pretty huge and, and something that has been mutually beneficial and the second one is we've invested in a youth project in Rwanda so we've worked with the Chiate washing station in Youngway for about four years now and started to ask the question, what are the problems you're facing in the area? And the biggest one that sort of stood out was that young people were being forced to move out of their home village because there was no land available to them to kind of start coffee farming. There were no opportunities locally other than working in mining. So lots of them were either working in the mining industry or moving to Kigali or emigrating abroad. So what we did was we sponsored the preparation of eight hectares of land, which we've planted with 20,000 coffee trees, and they've been distributed amongst 20 young people who are supporting with agronomy training and harvesting support, organic compost, and we're expecting the first crop from, from those seedlings next summer, which we'll be buying automatically in a manner that guarantees profitability in it, with a relationship that's based on trust and mutual respect. So... That's kind of, it might not be that all 20 of those producers end up sticking with coffee, but if we can help with, with some of them, then hopefully we've had some impact in creating the next generation of coffee producers in that area. A theme that kept cropping up on the show was this idea of how to not leave people behind in a transition to a greener world. And Matt from Greenworks speaks to this really well. He recognises that for most people at the moment, green initiatives or green solutions just aren't accessible. They absolutely should be. And in his mind, they can be. If we get enough hands on Natilla, the the net result is that the opportunity of this, lower cost, warmer homes, cleaner environment, can proliferate and be universally accessible. Because, you know, the starting complaint is, well, I can't afford an EV or a heat pump or to insulate my home and I'm burdened with expensive energy bills. And that, of course, is the current reality. But it doesn't have to be that way. And the way to get there at this stage is government pump priming, creating tax incentives and subsidies, which is what's happened, as I said, with the Inflation Reduction Act or uh, in Europe with the European Green Deal and, and other jurisdictions. And then how that translates into the skilled workforce that can really help us drive that transition and open up the opportunity of net zero, not just for those workers, but for communities that stand to be the beneficiaries of that ultimately. When I have guests on that are tackling really big issues, I'm always keen to ask them what their version of the future looks like. If they do their job well and they complete their mission, what will that actually mean? What will that look like? Paint us that picture. And when I put that to Tom Jackson of Honest Ocean, he had some really interesting and inspiring ideas. If we get made redundant from this, or if we, if our job's done, that's, you know, that's our goal here. Uh, For sure. (laughs) I mean, it really comes down to, I won't use the circle side of it, but being able to produce, whether it's the world of plastic, whether it's seaweed, whether it's bioplastics, whatever that process looks like, it has to run off a process that has an end of life in mind. So let's talk about, okay, you've got solar energy, fantastic, but you've got waste that can't be recycled. Okay, so, you know, it's feasible for us to be able to make that into energy to run a recycling plant. So so even just one notch on the short term is get a factory to run off waste, 
it generates its own waste from recycling. Use that waste to run that plant. So with solar, with plastic waste, even potentially organic waste, if composting isn't an option there. So that's a tiny goal, which everyone should aim for, but it hasn't happened yet. So if we can get to that stage, then it's what's, what stage can everything else be processed at? Because if we're getting to a place where new plastic's not being recycled, uh, sorry, new, uh, new plastic's not being produced, we've still got 30 years of plastic now that we can use for the demand. So it's being able to use initiatives like that. I mean, if we look at the way that we generate energy as people, you know, exercise, yoga mat, you're transferring energy into something that's not being harnessed, right? So why can't we do that with waste processing everything? Okay, we can use waste to make, mix with concrete for the roads. Okay, but where's the positive en energy generated from that, from walking? All these parts of it, we see every part of waste that can be transferred to an energy source of some kind. So when we, when we get to a scale where waste isn't called waste, it's just, it's just called a rebuild or a reprocess, mm. then in the short term, new plastic doesn't have to be used. But in the long term, we're creating things which we're accountable for at the end. So, and one of the main reasons is manufacturers have nothing to do with waste management, which are two ends of the supply chain, right? You've got creating goods, you've got the consumer in the middle, or you've got the retailers and brands, consumers buying it, goes in the bin at home, then it goes back into another supply chain or, or back into business off consumer hands. So if you have accountability as a, someone creating it, as a manufacturer, and you have to have a, have a packaging that you can reuse again, companies are only ever going to create something that's more value for them, which is they can get to use it again. We already see return schemes where bottles are dropped off, you can reuse that in, or refilled, for example. It might not be feasible at the moment, but it's like anything. It's like electric vehicles. Anything that's done at scale enough can make, can make it cheaper. So it's a bit of a roundabout answer, but basically by stopping the production and by using new, more things today, we can run trucks off waste. We can, we can convert non-recyclable plastic into hydrogen. Uh, we can use so many elements of our day-to-day -day driving, day-to-day -day impact. And you know my favorite thing I'd love to see? Individuals like us have a sustainability score and we get better insurance. Wow. We get better car leasing structure. We get, it's a credit score for sustainability. And the more you do at home and use your purchase dollars, the higher ranking you get. And it's kind of, it's kind of a mix between a credit score and kind of crypto, right? So you have an ID and an interface for it, but you can really have accountability for it as individuals. So if you're more, if you get better mortgage rates than your house because you're 23% better than that other person, that's better for that uh, mortgage company because then they're putting that towards green sustainability, which is then reducing their tax as a corporation. So. Wow. This is something I've had in the back of my head for a while, but that's just surface level. We're just talking about everyone who has a driving license or whatever, an ID, should have accountability for what they use. If we do that, it then incorporates people's egos and also what people can talk around the kitchen table or that office. 
I know it's a stupid thing to say, but it, it's a part of life. So with accountability for individuals for waste or just generally for sustainability, like we can literally in 15 years uh, change how the world functions, especially in the Western world or uh, worlds that are functioning with uh, good income, good, good commerce businesses. A sustainability score, I'm still very much in favor of that idea. And you know what? This next idea coming up from the next guest, I think would earn you a lot of brownie points on that sustainability score. I am, of course, talking about rejecting Black Friday and instead adopting Citizen Friday. And this is a snippet of a chat I had with Heather and Gavin from Reaction. I think it's fair to say that we're very anti-Black Friday and everything that it represents in terms of not only overconsumption, but also it's all about big business. It's not about community. It's not about supporting small businesses. The only benefit is in the pockets of the, the shareholders of these big businesses. Meanwhile, the planet and people in small communities and small business lose out. And what's actually happening on that day is that people have this rush of dopamine as they anticipate the purchase that they're going to make. And it's, and it's this kind of addictive nature of, of shopping and anticipating these purchases and everything that, that Black Friday represents and, and contributes to that, that we're against. And so we came up with an alternative campaign, which is called Citizen Friday. And there's three elements to Citizen Friday. It's about share repair and get out in the fresh air. And the reason for that is that there's enough clothing on the planet to clothe the next six or seven generations of people. Wow. wow. Why, why are we making new stuff? Why can't we use circular models and share what we've got? And by sharing, that could be, that could, that could involve rental. So you have, you know, one product and lots of, lots of different people use it at different times. It could be peer to peer resale sharing things that way. It could be sharing more than just products as well. What about sharing time? What about sharing your expertise, your knowledge, volunteering, things like that? So this whole thing about sharing and actually embracing that community that you're in and being part of that community. The next thing is about repair. So that's about not letting our clothing, our products go to waste before they're at the end of their useful life. And when we talk about repair, we also talk about repurposing. So that deals with that end of life piece as well. So that's all about learning to repair yourself, finding somebody in your community who could repair, you know, actually connecting the dots, you know. And then the last one is all about getting out in the fresh air. As I said, shopping online gives you this rush of dopamine with the anticipation of a purchase. But actually, if you just go outside, you get dopamine, but you also get serotonin. You also get oxytocin. And these are those really feel-good hormones that are combined with dopamine, just make you feel great. You also get vitamin D. Just the act of being out in a forested area can be so beneficial for your mental well-being as well. And we called it Citizen Friday because the opposite of a consumer and this is according to John Alexander, who wrote the book, Citizens. The opposite of, con of a consumer isn't a non-consumer. It's actually a citizen. And a citizen is somebody who exercises their agency 
and who can kind of think outside of the constraints of what we're being told. So he talks about three stories over, over time. The first one being the subject story where kings and queens ruled the land and the subjects just followed their orders. And that was how you, you, you did well, how you, how you were a good citizen. And then after the Second World War came the, the, the consumer story, which was all about it's all right, the, the government, you know, we're the government, we've got things in hand, all you need to do is support the economy by buying things. And he argues that we're, we're passing into a third phase now, which is the, or the third story, which is the citizen story, which is a story that actually existed pre the subject story, where people used to work in communities for the betterment of their community. And so that's what we want people to embrace. We want people to sort of disengage with that consumer story and engage with what it means to be a citizen and someone who is part of nature, not adjacent to nature, and so on and so forth. The last clip I'm going to leave you with today is from the formidable Hugo Tagom of Oceania UK, an absolute force in bringing people together for collective action. And the clip I've chosen is his answer to a very important question that we need to keep asking, and that is, how do we actually practically make things happen? What needs to change? What systems need to change so that we can start to move forward towards that better future that we're all looking for? I think tax rich people more, tax me more. Like, and tell me and show me where that money is going back into the things that we need the good things to invest in and the things that we should always be be investing in our transport systems our public transport systems our schools our hospitals our healthcare, those common universal things for everyone that underpin a good society that both the rich and the poor should want as the backdrop of what they're doing we don't want to live in a ghettoized society where rich people live in gated communities fearful of the people outside People outside can only come in to clean houses and and clean out pools and do whatever. You know, we need to we need to have a new a new way and a much more equitable way. And I'd say tax people more. I mean, there's there is only one way. We've got to tax big corporations and richer people more. But we've also got to show them that that's going into a a, a well structured society and the money is hypothecated properly to build those things and doesn't somehow leak out back to test and trace schemes that don't work and PPE that was never effective and is then burnt in piles in, in secret locations around the country. So this is really about sort of a new way of thinking. And in a way, taxation is the wrong word. It's like an investment from everyone. We're in all investing in right side. So the word itself feels like a punitive word. And in some ways it is, but it should be seen as like a a good thing. It's like, yeah, my, my son's school's better. Like there's more teachers. The teachers aren't so like tired and stressed they have more time they've more got more time to teach darwin or they've got more time to teach i don't know if you've got children yeah that's why i was so keen to, to ask to, you to, at to the teach head, your yeah. kids or to like i just think like well why wouldn't you want that like to feel truly proud of the society and the way we're supporting mothers disadvantaged people young people giving people opportunities why wouldn't why would we feel bad about our money paying for that stuff i mean there's nothing to feel angry about what a place to end. Tax the rich more. That gets my vote. 
Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this show so far. A special thank you to everyone that has liked, followed and subscribed the show. An even bigger thank you to those of you that have gone out of your way to send this to someone that you think will enjoy it. Of course, the real stars of this show are my guests, so a massive thank you to all of them as well. And I can't wait to see what they all achieve in the future. Please do let me know what you think of the show so far. I'm always looking for ways to make it better. And especially as we get into the new year, I'm going to be having a bit of a rethink, some new features and some ways that we can make this even more enjoyable. And of course, create more of a positive impact. You can email me with your ideas on cpi at soundquake.co.uk. Or if you're on Spotify, you can use the Q&A function. Most importantly of all, have a very Merry Christmas. And I'd just like to leave you with a brief story. Remember that the Grinch can't steal Christmas. He can steal all of your presents and your decorations, but he can't steal Christmas. He can't steal a child's laughter or the warmth of an embrace. He can't take away bonds, friendships or connections. He can't stop us volunteering for those less fortunate. And he can't stop you from telling your loved ones how much you appreciate them. If we make Christmas about what can't be stolen, then the Grinch cannot steal it. But only if we make Christmas about the unstealable. Love, kindness and gratitude. <laughs>